This podcast was recorded at Hartford Street Zen Center, Isanji, in San Francisco. Please help support our temple by making a donation at hscc.org. Good morning. Thank you all for braving the uh, dangers of our modern world uh, to come and uh, practice together. Circumstances like the current public health outlook, uh, I think, sharpen our appreciation for um, Buddha's teaching. Um, you know, in this part of the world, we um, It's pretty easy to uh, set aside uh, the feeling of um, some uh, imminent serious difficulty arising, even though that happens all the time. But it's very easy for us to uh, look beyond that. Uh, right now, uh, this um, phenomenon of a, a rapidly spreading illness um, I th- reminds us that uh, this has been predicted for quite some time. And so it's no real surprise. And yet, it's a little bit of a feeling of unreality. Like, uh, did I fall asleep watching Netflix and this is actually a movie? It's like, no, actually not this time. This is actually happening. And uh, for me at least, it's a little, um, you know, little bell rang to remind me that um, maybe my practice of non-attachment hasn't been all that vigorous lately. As it happened, I had my own health issues this week uh, and had a a migraine attack that was uh, more than three days long. And that, I think, is a first. So that was um, kind of grim, actually. And... um, encouraged me to make sure that uh, I was uh, bringing practice to bear as much as I could uh, in the midst of considerable discomfort. Uh, What 
was it maybe th three weeks ago now, I uh, actually had to go to the emergency room at uh, Kaiser because another runaway migraine. And um, uh, while I was there, I, uh, I had occasion to um, bring practice forward and that was it was quite helpful and then uh, one of the medicines they gave me I'm not sure which actually made me quite uh, agitated and anxious and um, that was much more difficult I was like it was very difficult to couldn't actually just sort of be still. The body was very tense and kind of moving around and breathing was difficult. Kind of, uh, so the challenges like that um, uh, can actually strengthen our practice and remind us how critically important it is in the midst of lives that are fairly comfortable, you know, not too many threats lurking around every corner. Uh, so now that uh, something is reminding us of the vulnerability of our lives as sentient beings, uh, this is a good time to uh, let practice speak in our lives. And uh, to set aside any feeling that like, well, I, I haven't been practicing long enough, so, you know, my practice isn't that helpful or not that strong or just brush that aside and remember uh, Dogen teaching that uh, you know, the rankest beginner's zazen manifests true nature completely. And this is, uh, you know, this, this uh, conjures the mountain of our practice, which is uh, there for everyone. In that sense, that particular and, and very powerful medicine is always available. Um, I was uh, remembering being Shuso at Tassahara. Seems like a long time ago now. And uh, they, when you're Shuso at Tassara, they give you a uh, st statue. It's about yay big. Of this sort of little, looks like a little, little chubby guy, in in uh, dark wood. And it uh, it uh, lives in your your uh, cabin with you, while you're Shuso. 
uh, it's actually a little creepy, but um, it's like it's one of the traditions, so okay, yeah. So I put it over in a corner. Uh, sometimes I would wake up at night and in the freezing dark and look groggily around and I'd see this dark thing and I'd think, <gasps> rabid raccoon. And I remember, oh no, that's, that's the creepy little guy whose name is Zenzai Doji in Japanese anyway. And uh, Zenzai is the Japanese pronunciation of the characters for uh, Sudhana. So Sudhana, of course, is the, the figure of every person, every man, every woman, every person, uh, from the Gandavyuha chapter in the Avatamsaka Sutra. And um, uh, <coughs> Sudhana, as you know, probably, uh, goes and visits um, uh, 52 different teachers to ask about the teaching. And the last one is Manjushri himself. And in, in this uh, little story that uh, Dogen told during a talk, um, Manjushri says to Sudhana, I would like you to go and um, find me a medicinal herb and bring it back. Uh, so Sudhana, who pretty much distinguished himself by doing everything that he was asked to do, uh, goes out and um, travels the whole world looking for medicinal herb and uh, finds that the medicine is everywhere. So he um, eventually uh, goes back to Manjushri and says, I, you know, I, I traveled the whole world and everywhere I went was medicine. And Manjushri says, um, please bring me a medicinal herb. So Sudhana uh, takes a blade of grass and hands it to Manjushri and says, here. And uh, Manjushri says, um, this blade of grass uh, uh, takes and grants life. Dogen says, uh, there's the, there's the blade of grass before, there's the blade of grass after. What distinguishes them? And, uh, after a while, he says, uh, what distinguishes them is one blade of grass. So maybe, I don't know, it's a difficult teaching that 
medicine is everywhere. But it's also liberating. Uh, whatever comes to hand is medicine. And it's uh, universally available. So if, if we're called upon to, to uh, manifest medicine, we, we should be ready. And um, we should uh, take whatever comes to hand. And that, uh, that fresh green herb is uh, you know, all of us. Now the, uh, the sound of the rain is good medicine. And um, it can uh, remind us <laughs> of that great teaching about um, following the stream to the source. As the poem says, uh, sit there and uh, watch for the moment when the clouds pile up. Of course, that's happening all the time. And uh, following the stream to the source does not require any particular travel. And maybe it's enough to remember that the source is where you are all the time. So the sound of the rain is perfectly the source. And well, as they say, it's not exactly out there. It's not exactly in here. It's alive.
if there are uh, difficult times ahead. Or as my teacher likes to say, rough sledding coming from Minnesota. And um, we, um, you know, we should be ready to furnish medicine as needed, and we should be confident that that's definitely possible. And just like uh, a physician today doesn't necessarily know ahead of time what medicine is necessary. You wait for the moment. And then, simply put, you are medicine. Without any elaborate contrivance around it. So each of us is sudhana with the blade of grass. Here it is. Do you have any uh, question today or comment? I'm trying to remember. They say, don't touch your face. And I'm like, anybody stop to think how often you touch your face in a day? Especially if you wear glasses. Like, yeah, forget that. Yes. Thanks for your talk. Um, <clears throat> I struggle a lot with the concept of medicine. And like you're talking about, when is when do you take medicine? When do you not take medicine? How that relates to the present moment is medicine. And that kind of dance and rough sledding. So thank you. That was really helpful. Um, I think when you talked about the possibility of like dramatic ills coming up, at least for me, it feels like modern life has a tremendous dislocation. And that 
one's tribe or community feels extremely loose and permeable and uh, very tentative. Mm -hmm. And I think that's on a psychological and a bodily level very frightening mm -hmm. um, in the sense that your friends, your family, your relationship can uh, physically change so rapidly and sort of almost disappear mm. uh, yeah. and that we all cover that over as simply okay, modern, and if it's difficult, it's kind of a lack of maturity. Mm. Um, so, I, I, I'm, you know, just spelling out crap. So anyway, thank you for your time. Yeah. Um, I, I have almost no family left myself. And uh, I sometimes quite keenly feel the need for uh, a more robust sense of family and um, at one time it seemed like the gay community could provide that and then that didn't seem to be as you said it's not all that durable And so I, I think I uh, relied on the, the Zen community quite a lot. And I uh, was very shocked to discover that that wasn't very durable either. And not being really inclined to be a hermit, I sort of find myself looking for you know, some way to be with others that is uh, nourishing and, and wholesome and you know, mutually supportive. Um, and yet, you know, To practice non-attachment in that sense also is very important for me. <coughs> important and, and difficult. Uh, one of my hosts in Sacramento keeps telling me you know, you should you should sign up for for senior housing, and I keep reminding myself, oh yeah, 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 I have to do that, I have to do that. And then when I think about that, 
or look at you know, what's available, I say to myself, I don't want to live that way. I don't want that. Well, what do I do? Well, I don't know, but I don't want to live that. I've lived that way, and I don't like it. I don't want it. So what do I do instead? I don't know, maybe die. That has crossed my mind. Rather than live in some apartment building or something with a hot plate <laughs> and a little refrigerator, no, I don't want to do that. I want to live with others. Or maybe I don't want to live. So. And the uh, prospect of eventually settling into a graceful old age with fellow Zenists, that evaporated. And that was a shock, let me tell you. So I should be careful not to use the teaching seat as a um, you know, time to complain. So I will cut off this line of <laughs> questioning. Perhaps someone else has a remark or question. Yes? I think one of the things in terms of each of us being the blade of grass medicine, I think you know, both of you touched on it, uh, but I think for those of us in the gay community who are still here, mm -hmm. who are survivors of a virus that you know, no one spoke the word or paid attention because it was us, yeah. And it went on for years, and at, you know, this time it's straight people on a cruise ship, and so we spent, you know, Congress authorized eight billion dollars two weeks later. Right. Um, and that's the definition of post-traumatic stress disorder for folks to be reminded. Um, you know, good that they're doing it now. Too bad they didn't do it before. But, yeah. But we watched. You know, I have the group of friends that I've mentioned. That seat up there that was uh, all that I traveled with and did everything with. There were nine of us, and I'm the only one left. Mm. Um, and it was due to government and healthcare inaction. And so, you know, as I've been speaking to people this week, and uh, friends and sponsees and clients and, and uh, fellows and, and followers, there's just such a level of trauma that people are experiencing. and, and one of the ways we can do it is just allow people to put words to it. Mm. That it's not, you know, there's this virus and there's the fear of this virus, which are two separate things. Yeah. There's the way people are talking about this virus, which is a third thing. And there's what the concept of virus does for some of us who have survived yeah. the last 40 years. Yeah. And I think just allowing people the space to say, you know, it's not complaining, it's, this is heavy stuff. And if you ignore it, it doesn't go away. It festers. Right. So your talk and your remarks just say, you know, it's just a reminder for us not to pretend like in our community this has a, an additional meaning than it has for everybody else. Yeah. And we show each other that and hold each other safe that way. Thank you. Anything else?
In spite of everything, they're still cookies. <laughs> Thank you very much.